This is HRT, a podcast featuring interviews with HR leaders, researchers, students, and influencers. HRT takes trending topics and research in human resources, steeps them for 30 minutes or less, and leaves you with fresh, brewed ideas on how to drive high-performing, inclusive organizations and create meaningful work experiences. HRT is brought to you by Villanova HRD, the graduate programs in human resource development at Villanova University. Hi, everyone. Welcome to HRT. I'm your co-host this season, Helen Nelson, and I'm happy to join Bethany Adams on a tea-fueled journey through our theme this season, diversity, equity, and inclusion. On today's episode, we sit down with doctors Ava Gaiman-Dooms and Corinne Glover. The good doctors are co-founders of Reflect and Renew and teach skilled mindfulness-based stress reduction techniques in workshops and seminars all over the country. Their work centers around mindfulness as a restorative practice and the role that science plays in our ability to be well, to be healthy, and to be prepared to show up with our whole selves to work. So Ava, jump in, tell us about your career journey. Okay, thank you. So I am Ava Gaiman-Dooms. I am a child and adolescent psychiatrist for my day job in Washington, DC. And I see patients over a variety of settings. They are in residential treatment programs. And then I also treat juveniles in the juvenile justice system. And the, I guess, part of my work that's brought me here is I work with my partner, Corinne Glover, on bringing mindfulness um, and making inclusive mindfulness spaces for women of color. We're really, we do gear, reflect and renew towards women of color. So I would like to say that, you know, I treat children and help them to grow into healthy adults. And then I also am invested in bolstering the confidence and bolstering the overall life experience of black women. And I think I'm tossing it to Corinne. Thank you. My name is Corinne Glover. I am an adult psychiatrist based in New York. I am on faculty at Albert Einstein College of Medicine, and I work in outpatient psychiatry. So that means just your regular outpatient mental health clinic where I supervise residents and also see patients myself with a team of psychologists and social workers. And that's my day job part-time. The other part of my week is spent doing a lot of work with Ava around focusing on marginalized people, particularly Black women via Reflect and Renew, and helping Black women understand the impact of repeated exposure to racism and racial discrimination, and helping them understand the impact of that on their lives and on their physical health, and looking at mindfulness as a way to almost form a protective practice to prevent some of the premature aging and chronic disease that we normally associate with the experience of being Black in the United States. So we've talked about career journey, and we've talked a little bit, I think, about what led to creating 
reflect and renew, but I love like the creation story. So, you know, I don't know if this takes place over drinks or <laughs> coffee or tea, but please let us know kind of the driving force for creating reflect and renew. So I'll start. This is Corinne talking. I had a car accident, a pretty bad one at the end of 2013. And I was on disability at home, recovering, going to occupational therapy and physical therapy. And as you can imagine, whenever you're going through a period like that of illness and recovery, you start to ask yourself some pretty big questions. And so I had a lot of time on my hands and I was supposed to be on brain rest because I had had a head injury. And so I was like, what is this brain rest you speak of? Like I started looking at my doctors with like a mixture of like disbelief and, and like a little bit like inside eye, like, what are you talking about brain rest? And so of course, here comes Dr. Gaiman Dooms. And so she's like, yeah, so about this brain rest thing, I've got an idea. And so I think, and, and, and Ava, I think, didn't know that prior to my car accident, I and a psychologist at my job had been running a mindfulness group for our patients. It started off for staff, and then, and then the staff were like, okay, we're good. You can do this for the patients now. And so we had been running a mindfulness group, and I had been integrating some of those practices into my patient care, right? Because even though we're psychiatrists, we recognize there's a limit to how much the pills will work if, if you don't have the skills to actually regulate yourself and regulate your emotions, your mood, your anxiety. So I had been thinking about mindfulness and Ava being quasi-psychic in addition to being a psychiatrist. Ava called me one day and she's like, so I've got an idea. And then she sort of drummed her fingers together. I'm sure this is how I imagined her on the phone, like drumming her fingers together. And, <laughs> and so from there, we started talking. And Ava, um, do you have something to add? That is a wonderful encapsulation. It really, it was born out of, you know, Corinne and I are friends and colleagues, but friends first. And I really wanted us to do this together and have a journey that was something that she was able to do on her time and her space away from work and on her return to work. And something that if she, if this would benefit her right now, this is going to benefit other women and benefit me as well in the future. So it really was born out of, you know, something that became a more immediate issue and space for us and has continued and has grown and will continue to grow hopefully into something that's much larger. Thank you for sharing the the story of how Reflect and Renew came about. When you were both kind of accounting the origins of Reflect and Renew, I'm thinking also about the demographic in which you serve. I'm thinking about, you know, putting on your own oxygen mask before you administer help and support to others. So as Black professional women to service Black women in this way, what did you see in your world that affirmed that's the place to start, that's the place to go? The wellness space as, you know, just a general concept is not one that everyone's first immediate thought is that of a Black woman sitting mindfully in stillness, attending yoga, having a very relaxing life. 
So there is really a privilege in the space of wellness that has been created. The wellness spaces by and large are not entirely welcoming to black women or women of color. And in that deficit, there is a need. So women of color have, through the history of the United States, bared all burdens and have not culturally had space to breathe and to relax. And in you know, wellness spaces, in mindfulness classes, when you are you know, sitting and being taught breathe and you're relaxed and this is calming, it is really not taking into account all of the experiences that got that Black woman into that space. We have to have a trauma-informed aspect of our wellness experience. We have to acknowledge the pain and the suffering that has gotten this Black woman into this space. We have to welcome these Black women, these Black bodies into this space. We have to allow for the permission to relax. We have to allow for the space to feel welcome and want to come back. Because it is in those spaces, in those times when you're learning to breathe and you're learning to relax, that you can then utilize those skills for the inevitable microaggressions and racism and othering that that woman, once she leaves that space, will experience and will experience over and over and will be re-traumatized because she experienced it before she entered that space. There is so much that is akin to a wellness and mindfulness space of that of a corporate or work environment. There is language that is used in mindfulness and wellness spaces that might not really apply to women of color. There are, you know, just assumptions that are made. Corinne and I, you know, we're talking about saying, well, you know, you're at peace, you are one. And when you're forgetting all that brought that woman there, you are really detaching her experiences from that exercise. And it's not healthy. And so you have to, just like in a workspace, just like in a corporate environment, it's good to see a leader that is of color. It is good to instill language. It is good to insist on conversations that are uncomfortable because let's not forget mindfulness is about finding the now and finding and centering yourself in discomfort. It is not about everything's fine. It is about being present in this moment of discomfort and getting through that without emotions that are taking you places you don't want to be. There's so much that is in line with, you know, diversity, inclusion in a workspace and wellness and centering Black women in that space that it's incredible. I just wanted to mention that, you know, as you were talking and caring, you know, I'm a white woman. I know that I have privilege in my color and I, I don't think that I, given everything that's happened in our country this year, and, and we've seen it over and over and over again, but at least this year, it has felt different. And I've started to recognize how much I don't know that I need to learn and, and that I'm open to learning. But what I was going to say is, as you were sharing, there was this moment of like, aha, that I had about just like, 
wellness in general, like coming into any kind of mindfulness activity, you have to understand where you are. And for me, I'm not coming into it necessarily from this place of trauma, right? Whereas black women are coming into it from this place of trauma. And so I don't think enough of us recognize that and recognize how hard it is to just like, I know for me, like when I'm really frustrated or really angry, it's really hard to be mindful in that moment. Well, if that's what you're experiencing all the time, how do you come and be mindful? And so I knew and obviously saw the importance of your work, but I just had this personal aha moment of like, wow, how impactful is that? Right. So Bethany, you have encapsulated in what you just said, exactly what leaders of companies need to understand. When there are dynamics and work cultures that are geared towards whiteness, you have to acknowledge the experience of your Black and you know workers of color when they're coming to the, to the meeting, to the table, and what those experiences they have that they're bringing. And all of it is uncomfortable. You know, diversity and inclusion work should be very uncomfortable conversations, just one after the other, because you know, it's, it's construction and the construction is deconstruction. You are dismantling things. You are dismantling beliefs and you're dismantling ideas and the way that the society has constructed itself and it is uncomfortable and it is uncomfortable, most uncomfortable for those with privilege. And the acknowledgement of that is the starting point because it is every single you know, person that has privilege that takes it on and says, I'm gonna tackle this because this is not the world that I want my children to grow up in. It took us how many years, 400 plus years to get to this discussion and you know, this entire foundation of this country is based on everything that you see happening in corporate environments when it comes to, you know, the need for diversity inclusion. So it is uncomfortable. And I tell everyone, if you're not having an uncomfortable conversation when you're talking about race and when you're talking about, you know, what is needed in a wellness environment, then you're not actually having a conversation. You're having like a, okay, we're doing things great. And so it's not fruitful. So everything that you said is exactly right. You know, you're, you're putting on your construction hat and it's not to construct. It's literally to take apart. It's like your sledgehammer. We mentioned this notion of deconstructing to construct. And so how do you think of your practice and the experiences that you curate really being an agent for change in individuals and in particular around very emotionally and potentially racially charged topics? I think science undergirds a lot of our approach. Science has shown that over time, Black people particularly have borne the brunt of so much aggression and brutality in our society and simultaneously have suffered for that on a molecular level. In our DNA, when it gets replicated, it gets replicated so that each time a cell gets regenerated, it remains faithful to the DNA that it inherited at birth. When that DNA gets altered, that's when disease potentially can happen. And and so the the area of the DNA that that we try to preserve is called telomeres. It's the ends of the DNA. And when somebody is exposed to constant stress, 
the stress of microaggressions, the stress of watching George Floyd be killed, the stress of knowing about Breonna Taylor's killing and, and the injustices surrounding that. Ahmaud Arbery, I could, we all could go on for days. We'd be here if we counted the number of people who are disproportionately affected by state sanctioned violence. So that shreds our DNA. And so this doesn't get talked about a lot and yet it, it, it affects maternal mortality and premature birth. So Ava and I are approaching this with an eye for essentially, how do we save people's telomeres? How are we saving their DNA? How are we saving, how are we preserving their health so that they can fight disease while they simply try to survive in this country? And so, and we also recognize that our ancestors handed down lots of tools for how to survive white supremacy and patriarchy they also, we might have also inherited a like, you better get up and go to work approach and, and like suck it up because we have no other choices. And we also recognize that black women have often served as the barriers or the buffers between all kinds of violence from the state or from corporate entities and our families. And so the particular stress I think is embodied in black women around racial trauma and so I think we approach these events with a, a, a sense of like, how can we use science to inform people's daily practices so that they can take care of themselves after they leave here, right? We're introducing all of these techniques, but how do we make sure that when they leave here, they can carry that forth? Thank you for that. You know, when we, and I know you all have heard this concept before, like whole self. And we think about bringing our whole self to work. And those are lived experiences that in some professional settings, you know, we're a little more comfortable talking about as we've developed shared language and we have shared life experiences as well, right? We've all been held captive in our homes and whatever way you've been impacted by the events, you know, of the summer. And I guess, you know, I, I, I want to acknowledge that because we've talked about that. And I want to acknowledge the work that you're doing in preparing, in particular, women of color, you know, to gird themselves up and to restore. But in all things, we cannot do this alone. And so what do you think is the responsibility of employers where we spend a ton of time and a ton of our day and where we pour into and may not get kind of the same level of effort and contribution poured back into us? What's the responsibility of employers to partner in an employee's wellness journey? It is crucially important for an organization to partake in this work. Organizations cannot afford not to do this work. They, they must roll up and bring their whole selves to the approach in, in taking it on. I, I mean, this is not a check the box exercise. This is holding organizations accountable for real inclusion, real equity, and giving feedback, giving performance evaluations to the company on how, how did we do? What promises did we make to our employees? What does our C-suite look like this year? What have we done to change that? What have we done to change language in our workspace that's more inclusive and more equitable? 
what what words have we discussed that really are a part of structural racism? What conversations, what risks did we take this year? How did we risk ourselves to have happier and more well-rounded and well-adjusted employees? The reason why the reason why organizations have failed at this work is because it doesn't look like anything that organizations have been taught to do or told to do. It is tackling those roots. It is, it is not, it's, it's construction, but first excavation. It is saying, I want you to be your whole self when you sit down and go to work every day. And I will constantly reevaluate what I'm doing as an organization to ensure that you are doing that. So it's, it is incredibly difficult and it is incredibly necessary. Could I also offer on some of the calls I've been on with the benefits plans managers and HR departments as part of this work, I've been doing some talks with the Northeast Business Group on Health, and they specifically work with benefits managers. And the benefits managers were like, what can we do? You know, after George Floyd was killed, all of that, that whole season of like Black death on, on social media and, and on, in the news. And so they were like, you know, should we make sure that we've got support groups for our, our Black and Latinx employees? And I'm like, Sure. And then they're like, okay, good. And so then I I was like, but I have some other things on the list. And so other things on the list include when you're expecting your, your, your employees to want to go to therapy, right? Because this is deeply traumatic. So a response to trauma is let me get help for this. So I don't develop some PTSD, right? When I go as a, as a black woman for the therapist that you guys recommended through your EAP, does this person even recognize what systemic racism is? Are they going to argue with me about the impact of this? Are they going to say, oh, I didn't like seeing George Floyd killed either. Let's move on. No, 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 no. To Ava's point, excavation, y'all. So, so deepening that commitment to finding clinicians in the EAP who are committed to anti-racism work, who understand that systemic racism is an actual social determinant of mental and physical health, I think is a huge step forward. I think it's also important for employers to keep data on how the, literally the health and wellness of their employees. Because if they find out that by working at your institution, they're dying faster or they're, getting, they're coming with, with high blood pressure and, and diabetes and the women can't stay pregnant, they're constantly going into preterm labor and giving birth to these babies that weigh half an ounce, like, mm-mm, right? That's, that's actually not doing the work. So the work is in looking at the ways the work environment is, is or is not addressing workplace mental health and equity and justice. And I want to add, I want to add to that and say that workspaces have to really take themselves to task and say, we cannot rely on the people of color to tackle these things. We cannot rely on the people of color to speak up. That is so re-traumatizing especially when everyone is silent. We cannot allow for that. So we should ensure that we actually take account of that. Let's ask those questions. 
but how are we doing on equity? Do you feel like you always have to speak up for your race? Do you feel like there are shared experiences of people that look like you that are being brought to the table and discussed by someone who doesn't look like you? How are we doing? Black people, Black people in the workspace are tired of being advocates for you know, equity and inclusion. So that is also traumatizing and something that works. It's not about getting us all support groups. It's, it's the other side of that because getting us support groups is really you know, centering the privilege experience. Yes, that's wonderful, but what, what's the other half of that? We're, we're, what are you doing on the other side? You know, it's interesting, Ava, as you were talking about some of the work of like mental health in the workplace and it, it got me and we, t- Helen and I have talked a lot about these like soapboxes. I have a lot of soapboxes for HR of like what gets me fired up, but it, that is one of them because for a very long time, organizations wanted people that were machines come to work, do your work, go home. Don't talk about your problems from work, from home at work and vice versa. And that's just not the way it is. Like we are human beings at the core of who we are and what all that entails. But what you're both getting at is this additional piece. We have to dig deeper and we have to recognize that what works for some doesn't work for all. And we have to get into those deep level problems and talk about that trauma if we really want to get to the core of what will provide for us coming with our whole self, as Helen was saying earlier, to work for all of our employees. This theory of of soapbox, right? What gets you out of bed in the morning and gets you just fired up to do? What's your individual soapbox? Ava, we'll start with you. So for me, it would be that I want Black women and I want, you know, children as well to understand that there are, you know, welcoming and warm spaces that are being carved out and created for them. What gets me out of bed is the ability to have a positive impact on someone's life and helping them on the way to bringing their whole self wherever they are. Having you know, the experience of being both a Black woman physician and also a mom and a wife and a worker, an employee, it, it, it guides everything that I do. I mean, I, I'm, I'm made acutely aware of it every single day that there just aren't enough people that look like me that do what I do. Out of all physicians in America, less than 3% are Black women. Dr. Glover and I here, you know, we are unicorns because if you take that 3%, and then you talk about who is a psychiatrist and who is a child psychiatrist. Well, first of all, child psychiatrists, there's 5,000 in America, period. You know, and, and so we are speaking and getting to a table so that there can be discussions about how wellness can be incorporated in ways that address a continuum of people in America. And so I think that that's like our passion. Like we are kind of a voice for the voiceless I, I think a lot of what Ava said is what gets me out of bed in the morning. I, you know, the, the, the way that Kamala Harris said, I, I eat no for breakfast. I hope to dismantle racism for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and dismantle heteropatriarchy. 
as as somebody who, while I'm heterosexual and cisgendered, I certainly recognize the the trauma uh, that our, our gay and lesbian community members and trans community members have experienced. And so I think that that intersectionality in our identities, it makes me feel committed to 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 just dismantling the systems right the just automatic decisions that all of us in positions of relative power make about who gets what resources what procedures are paid for what clinical visits are paid for what grind you have to go through to get your health care covering xyz treatment right recognizing that that burden is disproportionately applied to certain members of our of our community as, as just US citizens, right? Recognizing that certain neighborhoods are over-policed and that even black professional women are more, more likely to have grown up in some terrible housing situations or with cousins who were incarcerated and knowing that there are those structural factors that again, are shredding our telomeres. And so I hope that our work in some way empowers and emboldens people to go out and keep on doing that work. That's me learning to breathe after that informative episode. Doctors Ava and Corinne are truly superheroes committing their life's work to saving our telomeres. It really shifts the conversation from surviving to thriving and what that truly entails. I enjoyed the imagery of excavation before construction and discussing the work of dissecting and dismantling before building a better place to work and live together. Can you commit to a daily practice of mindfulness? Or maybe you already do, which is awesome. If your curiosity around the practice started today, as our guest said, give yourself permission to relax, take a deep breath and get started. Stay tuned for more riveting episodes this season that are sure to provoke deep thought, reflection, and we hope action. Stay tuned to the blog and social for when those new episodes drop. All right, everyone, remember, whatever you're drinking, coffee, tea, or something a little stronger, we hope it will lead to fresh ideas that will help make work better for us all. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this episode of HRT. As your thoughts from today's episode, Steve, share with us what you are brewing using the hashtag VillanovaHRT. That's hashtag VillanovaHRTEA. HRT is brought to you by Villanova HRD. To learn more about the graduate programs in human resource development at Villanova University and for all the links and notes from today's episode, visit the Villanova HRD blog at VillanovaHRD.com.